Hi, I'm Carrie Hickenlooper with Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. of God. Welcome to the Monday before Easter Sunday and General Conference weekend. I love it when these two events happen on the same weekend, and I can't think of a better podcast topic to have before Easter Sunday, and that is the characteristics of God. We left off last week where Nephi was telling us that the reason why Laman and Lemuel murmured was because they knew not the dealings of that God who had created them. And this is important. This tells us that it is important for us to know who God is so that we can understand him and have a desire to follow him. I hope you had an opportunity to read lectures on faith, specifically lectures three and lecture four, because this goes over the characteristics and the attributes of God. And at the beginning, it tells us that in order for us to be able to exercise faith in God unto life and salvation, first, we need to have an idea that he actually exists. Second, we need a correct idea of his character, perfections, and attributes. And third, we need to have a knowledge that the course of life that we're pursuing is according to his will. And if we have these three things, we'll be able to have our, our faith be fruitful and productive. Those are things that we all want. The first characteristic of God is that he is the creator and the upholder of all things. First, there is God the Father, and he is the supreme being. He is the ultimate creator ruler, and the preserver of all things. And we call him Heavenly Father because we are literally his sons and his daughters. We were spiritually begotten in the premortal life, and he is the creator of our spirits. And he is a devoted creator. His work and his glory is completely focused on us, his creations. For his work and his glory is to bring to pass the immortality and the eternal life of man. God lives an eternal life, and he desires us to have nothing less than what he has. So therefore, he is the creator of the plan of salvation. And this plan allows us to be able to experience progression so that we can one day gain perfection. It is a plan that will help us to be able to realize our divine and our eternal potential. And he knew all the laws, principles, commandments, and ordinances necessary in order for the plan to be possible. And he is the power behind its possibility. And there is no power that exists that can thwart his plan. Because he knows all things, he knew we would need a Redeemer. Not just to save us from our sins, but also to rescue us from death. And God the Father had a firstborn son, who even in the premortal life was like unto Father. For he was of one purpose with God, 
and was perfectly united with God on the eternal doctrine. And he is the one who volunteered to be our Savior. And in so doing, he became our mediator with God the Father. And as we follow the gospel of Jesus Christ and are baptized, we then become his children. Now, under the direction of God the Father, Jesus Christ created the heaven and the earth, therefore becoming the Father of heaven and earth. And using the same eternal matter and the celestial laws and principles of God, he created the earth and the heavens and the living things, including man and woman. And he knows the ins and outs of all of these systems and the processes necessary to keep things moving and to keep things alive, including our mortal bodies that are so intimately connected to our spirits. He is the great Jehovah, the same who spoke to his people from the beginning of the Old Testament all the way to today, where in a couple of days we are going to hear from his servants. And he is the creator and the upholder of all things. Because by and through Jesus Christ, the Supreme Father's plan of salvation is sustained, protected, and preserved. It is through the commandments, principles, and saving ordinances that are intended to provide strength, protection, growth, and clarity during our existence in a fallen world. These are the things that empower us. This is the way he upholds us. Now, some may see these gifts as limitations, or maybe a better word would be restrictions. But like any all-knowing creator, he possesses a perfect knowledge of the operations and the functions of all his creations. He knows how we thrive And he knows what our vulnerabilities are. So the gospel of Jesus Christ can be seen as the creator's manual of the necessary means of operation to either function at our full capacity by tapping into the upholder's power source, or we could violate its laws and its warnings and instructions and then experience vulnerabilities because of our neglect. But make no mistake, as the upholder of all things, our Lord is our power source in which all things continue to function and exist. And this is done through his priesthood, through the atonement, the resurrection, and the other characteristics and attributes that we're going to discuss. Regardless of what our choice is, whether we tap into him and his power source or not, Regardless, he is moving all of us through the plan of salvation. Now, lectures on faith number three says our faith couldn't center in him for life and salvation if he wasn't the creator and and upholder of all things. For we would be haunted by the fear of who is greater than God? Who can thwart his plan? And how, if he can be thwarted, how is it possible that he will keep all of his promises to me? If God didn't have absolute knowledge of all his creations, God would not be able to save any portion of his creatures. And that's found in lecture four. Think about it. 
how would he be able to impart celestial laws to us? And if he wasn't able to do so, we would then be in a state of ignorance. And how would we be able to utilize or use our agency if we lacked the knowledge of the laws that required our obedience in order to be able to gain eternal life? Without God being the supreme creator, and without our Lord Jesus Christ emulating all of God's attributes and being in perfect unity with God, as the creator and upholder of all things, we would chase after insufficient and shallow power sources. We would become distracted by the scams of the adversary that offered empty promises of strength and perfection, only to be devastated when we realize he is without capability of fulfilling our soul's desire. And there is a reason why our souls desire perfection, because we want to be like Father. Laman and Lemuel did not believe that the great city of Jerusalem could be destroyed. Whether it was due to the grand riches, I don't know, the thick walls, the strong army, I'm not sure, but they lacked an understanding that Jerusalem only remained by the will of God. And at this time, she was in violation of his commandments and the covenants that she had made with God. So therefore, she was not being upheld by his power, and she was vulnerable. And when you read Nephi's words, does strength come to your mind to describe Laman and Lemuel? Or don't they appear to be plagued with doubt and despair, grief, anger, resentment? Isn't their vision focused on what they left behind instead of focused on what their creator has in store for them? Or better yet, focused on what they could co-create with God if they chose to partner up with him. The next characteristic is that God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abundant in goodness, and that he was so from everlasting and will be to everlasting. My heart is filled with gratitude to know this about him. It has taken and continues to take away the unnecessary pressure to be perfect right now. And it allows me to grow exponentially because the fear that God is disappointed in me is removed when I accept that he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in goodness. You know, what if God did not possess those characteristics? Lectures on Faith says that he too would be susceptible to the weaknesses of human nature and the frailties and imperfections of men. How would that help us progress if he was a victim of the same things that I'm a victim of? I need his mercy. I need his compassion or forgiveness, even with, when it's completely within his power to punish me. When I face discouragement and temptation and difficulty, how else would I dare to take the next step when I have faltered if I didn't believe that he would be merciful 
And if he lacked grace, a power that is used to enable me to help me do what I cannot do on my own, that I receive every day, how would I muster up the courage to face persecution or or any hard thing if I didn't know that I could in prayer turn to him and ask for his power to be with me? And if he wasn't slow to anger, and if he lacked enough goodness for all of our needs, I don't know, would you even attempt to turn to him for forgiveness? We, I believe, would be more prone, more prone to hide our imperfections, just like we do with our neighbors or our loved ones or, oh, I don't know, we even do it with people we don't know. We, we try and hide those imperfections and act like we've got it all together. And, and we, would, we would do that even more so if we thought that he was as fickle in his judgments and his temperaments as those other humans around us. There would be no hope to overcome anger or, or my jealousy or my vengeance or my hate if our God suffered from those same frailties. I need his characteristics and attributes to show me a better way and to rescue a soul so rebellious and proud of mine. But good news, he is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger, and he is abundant in goodness. And I agree with Joseph Smith. Knowing that he is perfect in these attributes and characteristics give life and energy to the spirits of the saints. We can have comfort and security that this life is truly a place of learning and becoming taught by the master teacher lesson by lesson. If you find yourself struggling to see his tender mercies, if you envision God to be harsh when you fall short, if you struggle to see him as a loving teacher and instead see him as a condemner, or if you struggle to draw close to God for fear he may lack compassion and have disdain for your weak attempts, practice trusting that he is what the prophets say he is. And he has overcome all human frailties that we are so accustomed to. Allow his ways to fill your heart and mind. Try to see yourself and others the way that God sees all of us, with mercy, giving us more than we deserve. So forgive yourself more than you deserve and be merciful to others. They're learning too. So extend that mercy to them when they disappoint you and let you down. Practice grace. Be gracious to yourself by allowing and asking for his grace to help you with hard things. Or to practice it with others by attempting to lift them in the best way you know how. And be slow to anger with yourself when you make mistakes. Or give others the space to be able to make mistakes. Don't allow it to define them. And then you yourself rely on the Savior's help to correct those mistakes. Because he's abundant in goodness. And he extends all of those things to you. While Nephi had the vision to see the Lord's tender mercies, Laman and Lemuel lacked it. I believe bad behavior stems from fear. 
and murmuring was a symptom of fear. They feared loss, loss of property, loss of riches and comfort. And faith and fear do not coexist. And Laman and Lemuel could not feel the grace of God as long as they were fearful. So therefore they missed out on the solutions that God was trying to empower them with. And instead they were in a state of dread, anticipating their imminent destruction in the wilderness. I believe that Laman and Lemuel made their journey more difficult because they lacked trust that God was merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in goodness. They refused to let go and let God. Their resistance to their fear of loss and fear of destruction festered in their hearts and anger pulsed through their bodies. Not understanding that God is slow to anger prevented them from understanding that Jerusalem could and would be destroyed. You see them becoming apathetic to dishonesty and broken covenants, and it seems they did not fear in taunting a God who was not overly reactive. And I say this not to condemn Laman and Lemuel, just to learn from their experience, because there are moments in my past that come to my mind in which I acted in fear, and I didn't let go and let God. And so strengthening my faith in this characteristic of God, I know, will strengthen my power. The third characteristic, and the one that we will end with today, I'm going to see if I can sneak in maybe a bonus episode this week to be able to complete the other three because I want you to be able to have all of them before you have conference and before Easter Sunday so that these things can be on your heart and as you listen to conference you can say oh there's one or there's another one and you can have these six just these six characteristics floating through your mind so the third one is he changes not neither is there variableness with him but that he is the same from everlasting to everlasting, being the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that his course is one eternal round without variation. In my mind, I just sum it up with, he changes not. And I like it unto a game. Have you ever played a game with a rule changer? Is there really any point to try? Most likely, they're changing the rules in order to be able to benefit them and defeat you. Okay, God is not a rule changer. We wouldn't want him to be, and he isn't. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because he is that, we can build confidence in his word and have security in knowing that his word has applied to all of his children from the beginning of time until the present and beyond. And the attribute that supports this characteristic of God is justice. And without a God who is just, we wouldn't be able to have enough confidence to place ourselves under his guidance and his direction. That's what it says in lecture four. If he was a rule changer or if he changed, then we would have to think, is there a possibility his plan could change? And how am I going to know how to be able to obtain the new plan of salvation. And then we're going to lack confidence. Will he do right by me? 
If I sacrifice my will, which is hard to do, we all know that's hard to do, but if we're going to go through the steps of sacrificing our will to follow his, and then he changes his mind on what matters, well, then what progress will we have made? And then if he lowered his standards for me, would that be just to those who were then obedient to the higher standards of the past? Would my salvation be equal to theirs? Or would it be inferior? If it can be changed, if his principles or his commandments and values can be changed with the rising tide of whatever's popular in the current day and age, well, how important or necessary is that particular principle in the first place? I mean, it can't still be eternal if it's changing. Because he is just, his treatment of us will be as compassionate as his treatment to those before and after us. Because he is just, we will be asked to show our love to God by obeying the same commandments as those who were before us. And because he is unchanging, my faith and trust can be secure in him and his word because his plan is eternal. You know, it's safe to assume that Laman and Lemuel had, like Nephi, been taught somewhat in all the learning of their father. I mean, especially Laman. He was the eldest son, and it would make sense because of his birthright and the privilege of one day leading the family that Laman would have been exposed to the same spiritual teaching that Nephi was. However, Laman and Lemuel lacked the discernment to recognize that the people and their spiritual leadership had become corrupted. You know, even murderous thoughts against their own father's life did not sway their convictions that all was not right with Jerusalem. How could they think that a God who was unvarying would sanctify the desecration of his word? So if God is unchanging, should we be surprised that God's prophets aren't adapting the standards that the world proclaims to be outdated and adopting society standards in the name of progress? And can, can right and wrong really change anyways? And should principles be influenced based on an individual or a group's feelings or preferences or beliefs or habits or choices and trends? It can be difficult to reconcile the ways of God with the ever-changing whims of, of our society. But I ask you, when you develop questions regarding the doctrine of Jesus Christ and how it should be lived today, try to see the doctrine through the eyes of the creator and upholder of all things, the merciful and full of grace, and the one who is slow to anger and the one who is full of goodness. See it through the eyes of the just and the unchanging, the respecter of all persons, the God of truth and the God of love. Because one characteristic does not trump another characteristic. He truly has the ability to operate perfectly in all these attributes and characteristics. His course is one eternal round. Nothing has gone unconsidered. There is no unexpected. And because of this, we can have confidence in his word. Sister Scriptorians, this week, look for evidence. 
that he is the creator and upholder of all things. Look for evidence that he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in goodness. And look for evidence and accept that he changes not. And then learn, liken, and lift others with this knowledge.